I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Local Europe Edition, recorded in Stockholm on Wednesday, the 22nd of November, 2017. My name is James Savage and with me is Emma Lufgren. On the show this week, we'll be talking about why the global far right is so desperate to paint Sweden as a failed state and why they're wrong. We'll also be talking about why some Brits in France are getting even more anxious about their post-Brexit status. And we'll be looking at how a gang rape in Pamplona has brought people out on the streets to protest against violence against women. So that's uh, this week. Other, in other news this week, I've been terribly excited about this royal wedding in England. Haven't you, Emma? Uh, not really, James. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's this Brit abroad thing. You, sort of, you, you see these kinds of things and, I don't know, it's a bit of a light in the darkness. But why is this such a big deal? I mean, of course, it's, it's nice that two people are getting married, but there were newspapers in Britain that were live blogging the announcement. Oh, but it's so exciting. But I tell you what, I think, I, think this is, I think what's very nice about this is that the fact that you've got a member of the royal family who can, who's marrying someone of mixed race, who's uh, divorced, and no one's really that bothered about it. And she's someone who's got an amazing career behind her already, you know, not just as an actress, but um, as a campaigner for women's rights. So just on that front, I think it's quite, it's quite pleasing. Sounds like it's still going to be pretty traditional. I mean, she's, she says she was giving up her acting career now to do more royal duties. Yeah, well, maybe hopefully she'll carry on her, um, her campaigning for women, women's rights with, with a new platform from which to do it. So maybe that'll be nice. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. <laughs> We're not going to agree on this. OK, cool. Um, well, let's get on to our first subject then. Britain's decision to leave the EU has left many Brits on the continent and EU citizens in the UK in limbo. So many are trying to find ways to secure their rights to stay in their new home countries. But in France, some Brits applying for permanent residency have been told to come back after Brexit. And this is making them nervous. So Ben McPartland, editor of the local France, joins us now. Ben, why are people applying for permanent residency? I mean, British and European negotiators, they say that citizens' rights are a priority for them. These people are going to be fine. So their rights should be protected anyway, right? There's also the fact that nothing's really changed. Well, nothing has changed for the moment from them. They're still EU citizens. I think the thing is, there's, despite all the reassurances from both the British government and the EU, there's a real level of fear amongst a certain group of Brexpats, if you can call them that, who just want some kind of security over their future in France. You know, they've risked everything to come here, they've exercised their right to travel, right to live abroad, and they feel as though it's under threat and they just want to secure it. I was speaking to a British guy down near Bordeaux who just said, 
you know, the British government could could anger the French government. The French government would say, right, we're not looking after yours, you're not looking after ours. And it could, there's a fear that everything could just unravel. So they're trying to get some kind of security over their futures in France right now. One way is nationality, but um, certain people don't qualify for that. Others either haven't been here long enough or the language capability isn't good enough. And another way is this permanent residency, which is the, called the cap de séjour. Why can't wh- wh- why are these why are these people being turned away? It's dealt with by each department in France. Uh, so that's the local the local regional authorities. The yeah, essentially yeah. the local authority. So certain local authorities are uh, uh, giving the card, giving the cap de séjour, no problem, matter of weeks, everything's rosy. Some of them are just saying, you know, they're not. Essentially, the, the, they've, the Gironde department told us that they're not turning anyone down. They're at pains to insist that, but they're just telling them to come back later after Brexit when they have some kind of idea over whether British nationals will need them or not. Essentially, they're saying, look, you're an EU citizen. Nothing's changed. Uh, you don't need a carte de séjour to stay in France. So we're not going to waste our valuable time because we're snowed under by applications from, from many other nationalities on giving Brits a load of carte de séjour when there's possibly no reason to give them one. Or there may be some other kind of uh, residency permit that they'll need to apply for after Brexit. So how are Brits reacting to being told to come back after Brexit? They're in kind of two minds. Essentially, they're being urged by Brexit activists who are in France to say, well, look, these are your rights. You you know, the department, the Ministry of Interior has stressed here that you can get a carte de séjour. They shouldn't really be turning you down. However, Brit, in reality, Brits are going, well, you know, the French administration, you know, these are the people you need to keep on your side. We certainly don't want to cheese anyone off. So they're saying, well, if they're telling me to come back later, you know, that's what I'm going to do. So um, essentially, they're just, yeah, they're kind of backing down for the moment out of fear of angering French bureaucrats. Just on a general level, how worried do you think Brits in France are about Brexit? So I'm just writing an article now, kind of looking at the different groups of Brexpats. And, and there's a certain one huge group is called them the worriers. They really fear um, a threat to their future. And I, I think you'd include pensioners specifically among that group, you know, who've, who rely on pensions from the UK, uh, who, rely, who, who are at risk from the kind of changing exchange rates, who can't really work to guarantee their future in France. You know, they can't just go and get a job and then get some kind of visa. They're the group who are really uh, fearing the worst. They're the ones who've kind of risked all. I think younger people are in a different group. And you hear a lot of people like saying, look, stop worrying about it. No one's going to kick anyone out. Of course, the French aren't going to kick the Brits out. Of course, the Brits aren't going to kick the French out. And there's a real kind of um, uh, almost uh, antagonism between these two groups of people. But it'll be down to the worriers and the people who fought for the to highlight the rights of Brits abroad, that, that everything will turn out all right. Yeah, so maybe we should mount the barricades. Um, all right, Ben, thanks very much. Thank you. Nigel Farage, former leader of the UK Independence Party and one of the leading campaigners for Brexit, was speaking about Sweden's supposed crime crisis last week. Again. This time his subject was a jogging group founded by a police officer in the small Swedish town of Oskarshamn which was intended to make people feel safer jogging at night. Farage took this as backing for his view of Sweden as a den of immigrant-related crime. But this was not the whole story. James, what sort of pictures do these media paint of Sweden? Right, so what they're saying about Sweden is that there are a few things they focus on. One is the one of the rape statistics. So Sweden has, over a long period, had comparatively more reported rapes per capita than many other countries. And they imply that Sweden's generous migration policy is 
related to this. Secondly, they talk about no-go zones. That's a big issue for them. So the fact that there are these areas of Stockholm and Malmö and Gothenburg particularly and other places where it is said that the police do not go. Now, we know that when you talk to the police, they say, yeah, we do go there, but these are these particular areas, these um, specially vulnerable areas, as they call them, are areas where they have special procedures and where the ambulance crews uh, fear sometimes for their safety in certain circumstances, which, by the way, is uh, a phenomenon that you see in almost every other European country. I certainly know that in England, where I come from, there are, there are similar procedures for ambulances that go to certain addresses. It's, it's the way it is. But look, they paint this as being a uniquely Swedish problem mm-hmm. and that these are no-go zones where you and I wouldn't dare to set our foot. Which is not true, really, because I've been to several of them. But mm, anyway, absolutely. I mean, when you look at crime in Sweden, I mean, yeah, sure, deadly violence is down. We can see that. But I mean, there are other statistics that are up. Gun crime is on the rise. The police are complaining about being understaffed. So... When they talk about a crime crisis in Sweden, do they have a point? There are issues. The ones that you've just described, you know, there, the, the, these, are, these, are, these are not issues to be taken lightly. The problem is the overall picture that they paint. Sweden has crime. Guess what? It's a modern European country. All modern, well, everywhere. I mean, crime is everywhere. And... The fact is Sweden is not immune from that. And I think, you know, Sweden is a, bit, is a bit of a victim of its own success because everybody for many, many years painted Sweden as, you know, the perfect society. It's one of the things I said in my article this week. Mm-hmm. I remember when I first moved to Sweden, Polly Toynbee was, <laughs> is, is the famous one who said that Sweden is the most successful society the world has ever seen. And so many people on the left raised Sweden up to this level. The thing is, it was never quite utopia. <laughs> you know, there, there have been uh, problems with segregation for many, many decades, uh, where immigrants have lived in one area and everyone else has lived in another area. This is not new. Yeah, they don't really care about Sweden at all, do they? No, 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 absolutely not. You know, Nigel Farage doesn't give a damn about Sweden. <laughs> you know, Breitbart doesn't really give a damn about Sweden. But for them, it's a way of showing that multicultural societies don't work. It's a way of showing that immigration is harmful to society. And it's a way of showing that liberal social policies, that um, a large state, um, for instance, uh, cause social misery. That's the picture they're trying to paint for their readers. Add to that the fact that there are basically no foreign correspondents in Sweden. Mm-hmm. And whenever anything is written about Sweden in the foreign press, it's often by someone who flies in for the day, usually to prove a point, whether it's to prove that Sweden's the most successful society the world's ever seen or desperate failed state. Yeah, it's a lot more, lot more nuanced than that. Um, Absolutely. Thanks very much, James. Thanks, Emma. The trial of five men accused of gang-raping a woman at Pamplona's Bull Running Festival wrapped up on Tuesday in a case that shocked Spain and sparked protests against how women who make rape accusations are not believed by the justice system. The slogan, I believe you, has been adopted by Spaniards in support of the woman. Fiona Govan, editor of the local Spain, joins us. Fiona, what's the background to this case? Well, the trial centres on the alleged rape of an 18-year-old girl by a group of five men, all in their 20s, a group of friends who, like many people in July, head up to San Fermin for the Bull Running Festival. But in July 2016, so two years ago, they met up with a girl who'd become separated from her friends, and within a few minutes, she was in a secluded 
doorway of a basement apartment building where where she had sex with five men. They filmed this and then shared it in a WhatsApp group. And she, shortly after that, was found crying on a bench was ta- and was taken to the police where she reported these five men for rape. Um, she didn't know them. She didn't know their, their names, but thanks to CCTV footage, the police very quickly found them. She said it was rape. They claimed that she had consensually participated in a group sex. Uh, the shockwaves of this case have been absolutely huge. It's taken a year and a half to come to trial, and these five men are being accused of, of rape. They're facing 22 years in jail each. One of them is a former member of the Civil Guard. Another one is a member of the military. And it's really just put the, the focus, the spotlight, on how women are treated by the justice system and by society and by men when it comes to reporting rape and sexual sexual assault. Obviously, there's with all rapes, there is this, you know, there's always this difficulty of evidence that um, it's often word against word, but this, there, there are certain elements of this case that have made it particularly controversial, right? Some very nasty things have come out during the trial. The fact that this group of five men had a kind of WhatsApp group where they called themselves La Manada, which translates to sort of the wolf pack, and that they had seemed to had certain intentions when they went up to the festival... And a lot of that evidence has actually not been allowed in court. But what they had allowed was a sort of interrogation, really, of this girl with the suggestion that she hadn't, she hadn't actually said no. And so the whole question of consent has come into play here. And as you say, it's one of these he said, she said sort of things. But the evidence to the outsider seems so overwhelming. The fact that they have shown um, these tapes, these videos... Uh, shot by shot and analysed what may be going on in those shots. And this is all in closed court, except the identity of the, the victim, obviously. But, you know, the kind of things are coming up, well, she seems to be enjoying it, she didn't say no, she didn't fight back, she was not injured in the attacks, there was no kind of sign of force. So the clearly, clearly the kind of um, suggestion is that, well, you know, she was drunk, she was on her own, she went off with these men, they didn't, they didn't force her, physically force her, they led her by the hand into this dark doorway. In fact, she came out and called that she kissed one of the men before going off with him. So really, they're kind of trying to paint, the, the defence is trying to paint it that she was a willing participant in this. And of course, there's so much evidence to suggest that she really wasn't. And in fact, her own evidence saying that, you know, she, she didn't fight back because she was scared, because she didn't know what was going on. And then she was in shock and she wanted the ordeal to be over as quickly as possible without being hurt more than she was. So all of these kind of big society questions about what, how do, do women have to say no or is consent, how was consent given and all these kind of things have all come out in, in the case and come out and being open for general discussion in society in Spain. So what has the reaction been? The case has concluded and the judge is now considering the verdict. But the, the reaction is we've seen big demonstrations of women, of not just women, people, men, women, but a lot of women's groups have come out and have sort of started this whole movement, really, symbolised by a red hand and the slogan, no means no. It's kind of an obvious thing, but it seems to be so needed here where... And in fact, you know, we're, we're hearing around the world this sort of discussion about, about consent. Also, a lot of people just started saying, I believe you, like that this poor woman should not have to be subjected to so much scrutiny, really. You know, uh, what also came out in the case, which is another shocking angle, is that 
after after the incident and after she reported it, the defendants hired a private detective to follow her around to check on her behaviour and then to report on how she seemed unaffected by what had happened. And that evidence was allowed initially by a judge, but it was then withdrawn after public outrage. So you, you mentioned these parallels to the to the international Me Too kind of movement. Is this totally separate from that? Has it just grown up in parallel or are there, are there sort of links? Has it been affected by, by what's going on in other countries? It, it came out separately. It came, I mean, this happened a year and a half ago. And so over the last year, really, since this case is so shocking when it came to light that really it was particularly at Pamplona this year there was really a significant amount of um, of sort of slogans about uh, and protection for women and all this kind of you know women should be allowed to drink in the same way as men and not feel vulnerable and all this sort of thing um, was all co- has been coming out over the year but it's just peaked at the same time as we've got this international me too sort of awareness so it has it has linked into that and Alongside, it's your Tambien here in Spain, a lot of high-profile people have been writing columns and coming out and talking about incidents where they were sexually harassed or abused but never reported it because it just isn't something that's been done in Spain. And so all of that is now coming to a head. Fiona, thanks very much. Well, that's just about it from us this time. Remember, you can subscribe to this podcast in the iTunes store. And if you feel like giving us a rating, we'd be extremely grateful. That helps more people find this podcast. And if you want to comment on anything we've said, positive or negative, get in touch with us directly on Facebook or on Twitter at The Local Europe. But meanwhile, it's uh, ciao from me. And it's uh, arrivederci from me. Au revoir. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.